Proverbs chapter number 19. I would apologize for not being here last week, but uh, you know, a lot of times we apologize for something that really we we can't help and we don't need to apologize for. But I, I still, to this day, I always feel bad when I have to miss, and then I, I need to remind myself I went twenty the first twenty three years without being gone uh, a Sunday and uh, ne- never missing and and so forth, and, uh, and you know, sometimes I can still remember the first time I had to miss. I just had gallbladder surgery over in Jackson, Tennessee, and I, I couldn't go to church that that Sunday, and it it it, it about killed me. Uh, but anyway, I'm simply saying, if I'm not here, it's not because I don't want to be here. That's the point I'm trying to make. All right, chapter 19. We got down through verse 21. So we pick up tonight in verse number 22. The desire of a man is his kindness. And a poor man is better than a liar. And again, I remind you that, you know, in the old English, a lot of times, uh, you know, they they didn't word things exactly like we would today. And by the way, that doesn't mean that we ought to go looking for a new version of the Bible either. It simply means we need to just give some thought to what is written. But in this first phrase here, it's a little bit tricky, I guess, maybe not to you, but it was to me, the desire of a man is his kindness. And the word kindness comes from a word that literally means mercy. And the context, notice, shows that he's speaking here in regards to a poor man and I think the idea is that, you know, a poor man has a desire to help uh, those people that are in need. You know, a lot of times we don't really care about helping someone until we find ourselves in their situation. It's just like a lot of times, you know, we we don't have any sympathy for someone maybe uh, that maybe has a certain physical ailment until all of a sudden we get what they got. And then after that, it's like, oh, now I, I, I know how it feels, and all of a sudden we're much more sympathetic and much more less judgmental of people. Uh, I can remember a time in my life, in fact, for many years, uh, I, I, I think my wife and my kids all lived in fear uh, of the fact that, you know, even if they were sick and had to miss church, that I was going to be uh, too judgmental of them, and, uh, and and they were right. I had a problem in that area. But I'll tell you, somebody tells me they're sick, and they say, look, I'm sick, I don't feel like going to church, that's all they need to tell me, because I'm going to believe them unless they prove to me otherwise. I'm going to believe what they say. You better be careful about, you know, sitting in judgment of, of people, and uh, because you don't know all of the facts. Now, Notice here he's talking about someone evidently that's poor, but the desire is toward kindness. And and the point is that God God looks at our desire. It's not just about what we do. It's about what we want to do, what we desire to do, what we're willing to do. And, And the purity of our motive is of major concern to God. Motive matters 
to God. Second Corinthians chapter eight and verse 12. He says, for if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath and not according to that he hath not. In other words, if we are willing and, but we're unable, but we're willing, God uh, counts that to us and rewards us just as though we had done that. A lot of times people are unable to do, you know, what, what they want to do. And sometimes he isn't allowed to do certain things that he wants to do. I always think about David. And, of course, David was a man after God's own heart. David was a man that you'd think if anybody had a lot of clout with God, it'd be David, right? But when it came time to build the temple, and David was certainly willing, and, and in fact, he was kind of insistent that, you know, I want to do this. And the Lord said, no, you, you, you can't do it. I'm not going to allow you to, to, to build the temple. You're a man of war. I'm not going to let you build the temple. But rather, Solomon is going to build the temple. And you see, he was willing to do it, but he didn't do it. And the amazing thing about it is, even though he could not do that, and he accepted that explanation, by the way, and let me throw this in. Whenever God does something, and remember, he either causes or allows everything that happens in our life, good or bad, he's in control. He causes it or he allows it. And we ought to be willing to accept that even if we don't have an explanation. Because he does it for a good reason. You don't need to know the reason. You just need to know there is a reason. And so, so, but in that case, he explained to David uh, why, and he explained what the plan was. But the wonderful thing is he said to David, I'll, I'll give you the plans. You can give Solomon the plans. This is the way it's to be done. And also then God used David to supply the materials and so forth in order to build the temple. But the point is a lot of times there, there are people that they, they're overwhelmed with this feeling that I just can't do anything important for the Lord. I've ministered a lot years ago in nursing homes. And and so I have, you know, I've kind of got my finger on the pulse of how a lot of those people feel. And a lot of them are good, godly people. They love the Lord. They're wonderful people. But they're overwhelmed with discouragement because it's like, you know, they got this feeling, I, I can't serve the Lord, I can't get out of here, I can't go, I can't do, I'm just worthless. And, and, and a lot of people have a, have a real struggle with that worthless feeling. And uh, they need to realize that, listen, if we're willing to do it, even though we can't do it, or even though God doesn't allow us to do it, Nevertheless, it is accepted in the sight of God just as though we had been able to do that. You've heard people say, well, and Bev and I, we've, we've talked about this a lot. Wouldn't let your imagination run wild? Wouldn't it be wonderful if you had a million dollars? And, and we've all thought, well, okay, we'd give, you know, this kid so much and this kid so much and this kid so much and then we'd give the church so much and then we'd do this and we'd do that and, Probably none of us know what we'd really do if somebody dropped that in our lap. But, but it, it, you know, it's, it's a, it's a great thought to think about. What would you really do? And I'm talking about being honest now. And, and by the way, we're going to get to that in just a second. We, if we're honest about it, 
Whatever it is that you truly would do, a missionary comes through, he's in dire straits, he has some serious needs, and you say to yourself, oh, I wish to God that I had that $5,000 to give to that missionary to help him do this or do that. And in some mysterious way, God is going to bless you and reward you according to your willingness, even though you didn't give a dollar, maybe, because you couldn't give a dollar, you see. Now, here's the point. Notice that right on the heels of that, he says, a, a, and a poor man uh, is better than a liar. Well, a lot of people got the idea it just can't get any worse than to be poor. Oh, my, if I'm poor, that's just about as bad as it gets. You know, and we murmur and complain about where we don't have any money, we can't pay our bills, we da, da, da. You could have cancer, you know. Is that, would that be better? How about, how about losing one of your kids? How would that be? No, you see, it could be a lot worse than being poor. Uh, a, a lot of times the best thing that can happen to us is for God to allow us to be in a situation where we have great needs, where we don't prosper, because God can use that in order to mold us and make us and shape us into the kind of person that we ought to be. But notice here he says the desire of a man is his kindness, but he says a poor man, a poor man, even though he can't do a lot of things, he's better than a liar. You know, some people look down on on the poor man with pity, but says he's better than a liar. You see, it's really easy to pretend that we care when we don't. I mean, we can sell that idea to just about anybody. Oh yeah, I'd give that missionary that five thousand dollars, or I'd do this or that, or boy, I'd help the church out. And, and you know, we can make statements like that. And we can convince everybody else that we really mean it. And we can deceive them and we can even deceive ourselves, but uh, we can't fool God. We can't fool God. Notice here, he says, and a poor man is better than a liar. A lot of times, you know, somebody say, well, I, I, I can't help because I just don't, I just don't have it. Uh, I've heard people talk about, you know, boy, I, yeah, I would, I'd, I'd, I'd teach a Sunday school class if I had time. And, and then you watch their life and see all of the different things that they, you know, that they do, the way they spend their time, the way they spend their money, the way they expend their energy. And, uh, they got plenty of time. They're just not being honest about it. They don't want to do it, and they're trying to excuse themselves. We need we need to make sure we're honest with God and honest with others in regards to what we would or wouldn't do. Verse 23, the fear of the Lord tendeth to life. The fear of the Lord tendeth to life. And he that hath it, that is the fear of the Lord, shall abide satisfied. He shall not be visited with evil. What if I was to ask tonight, how important is your life to you? How important is your life to you? Uh, boy, I'm, a lot of people say that's the most important thing. I mean, life, because I mean, without life, you know, it's uh, you, you, you don't have anything. I can remember my mother, I was just a little boy, I was standing out in the yard, and I'll never forget it for some reason, she was talking to a neighbor, and I 
uh, heard her make the statement. She said, you know, if she could just have one, one wish, one thing, it would be for good health, you know. And I'm not saying that she was necessarily wise in saying that. I'm just saying that's how important it was to her. And uh, a lot of people would say, well, my health is more important than anything else. You know, whether that's true or not, you know, is debatable, but but that's the way they feel. And, and they go to great length, right, in trying to be healthy and trying to preserve their life. They're very health conscious. They, they take their vitamins. You know, I don't know. Maybe it's just me. I've... I've I've, I've taken this vitamin, that vitamin, all of the multivitamin, this and that. I never took a vitamin in my life that I thought helped me. And, uh, of course, you know, Bev says, you don't take them long enough. And so I'd take some and take them longer. I, I still, I've, I've just never found it. I guess they do now. I'm not a doctor. Uh, but, but I couldn't tell it. But a lot of people, you know, they spend a lot of money taking a lot of vitamins. And uh, they go to the doctor, get regular checkups. I'm not telling you don't do that. It's probably a good idea to, to get regular checkups and what have you. And some people are serious enough that they exercise. I, 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 yeah, I, I remember I, I was sitting in my study up in Fort Thomas, Kentucky many years ago. And we had a solarium there at the house. And Tim will remember this, no doubt. And, and where I had my study and, and it was all windows and and, and, and of course, a lot of people there, uh, jogged and, and we come up a hailstorm. I'm talking about big old chunks of hail. And here comes some guy jogging down the road in that hail, just be pounding on top of his head. And I thought, you know, how crazy is that? I, I'm, I'm saying all that to say people really are serious about their health. But the problem is they do all of that and then they turn around and neglect the most important thing. Exercise is profitable, the Bible says, but, but godliness is even more so. And, and so for us to, to do all of those things and then turn around and not have a proper reverence for God doesn't make sense because notice he says here, the fear of the Lord tendeth to life. Now that listen, that, that that doesn't mean that they're never going to have a problem. It, it doesn't mean that they're not going to get sick. This, none of us have an ironclad guarantee that we won't get sick or that we won't die. Nobody has that kind of assurance. But remember, we're talking about Proverbs here. And the probability, the possibility of living longer is much greater when we do fear God. But there's more. I want you to notice here, he's encouraging us here as he writes this. And so he goes on and he tells us that there's satisfaction in this. And he that hath it, that is the fear of the Lord, shall abide satisfied. How many people have you seen, for example, that had absolutely everything you, you, you could dream of? I mean, every, everything anybody could want. I mean, they've got a lot of money. They got a lot of, a good job. They got a, uh, a reputable position in the community and all of that. And you think to yourself, what more could anybody want? Think about all of the entertainers, for example. Think about Elvis Presley and, well, that list just goes on and on. People that, I read, maybe some of you heard it, that 
about the, uh, there in there in Memphis, I think it was, and this old guy with a hunting cap on and kind of his hair sticking out and a pair of overalls on out in the car lot and just walking around and looking at everything. And the guys inside the salesman, they think the old boy's out there, you know, uh, maybe drunk or panhandling or whatever, going to steal a car. They don't know. And finally, the boss said to the one salesman, the youngest salesman, go out there and get rid of that guy. So he goes out there and begins to talk to the old boy and, uh, and the guy's inquiring about a new Cadillac and, uh, you know, how much a new Cadillac be. And long story short is he said, yeah, I'll take, I'll take six, one in each color you have. And that young salesman went back in and told him, said, that guy wants six new Cadillacs. Well, it happened to be his name was Elvis Presley. And a true story. And, but here, here's a guy that had, seemed to have everything, but he wasn't satisfied, was he? You see, there are things much, much more important than money. Well, what, what, what is it that's missing? What is it that would keep a person who seemingly has everything from being satisfied? The fear of the Lord. If, if we don't have a proper reverence for God, you mark it down, everything else in our life is not going to come together as it should. And so he mentions life, he mentions satisfaction, but then notice he goes on and he speaks about the matter of safety and security. He says, he shall not be visited with evil. Now, that's not to say, again, that he'll never have any troubles. We know better than that. Sometimes the best people have the worst problems. They get sick. They suffer pain. They eventually die like everybody else. So what does that mean? Well, it implies that we shall escape that evil which would have come upon us had we not feared God. Are you with me? We escape the evil that would come upon us if we do not fear God. And let me tell you right now, if you don't have a fear of God, you're going to be, you're in trouble and it's going to get worse. It's not going to get better. I mean, it's a horrible thing to have that kind of an attitude about God that you have no fear of God. And, 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 and I think you understand, of course, that that word fear carries the idea of reverence, but don't stop there. And so many preachers just emphasize, well, it's just talking about having a healthy reverence for God. You really shouldn't fear God. Nonsense. You ought to fear God. You ought to have a dread of disappointing God because there are consequences to disappointing God. Now, verse 24, a slothful man hideth his hand in his bosom, and he will not so much as bring it to his mouth again. I, I don't know, for some reason, I, I, I wrote an article about work uh, for Labor Day and was going to send it out, and I, for some reason I, I just decided not to, and uh, uh, so it's still there, you know, in my file folder, and uh, maybe someday. But this verse happened to be in that article, A slothful man hideth his hand in his bosom, now, remember back in those days, you know, they wore those robes and things and had the folds of the bosom and uh, in the bosom there, and that's where they would, you know, put stuff uh, in, in the bosom. And so he has his hand in his bosom. It's kind of like saying, standing around with his hands in his pocket today. That's what we would say. 
and will so not as much as bring it to his mouth again. You get the picture? This dude is too lazy to feed himself. He, he won't, he is so lazy, he won't even take his hand and pick up the food and put it in his mouth. I mean, it's hard to imagine, but let me tell you, people do strange things, and so many times people refuse to do what is good for them because it'd just take a little bit of effort. That, that's all it would take. And, and, and it would help them, and they're just too lazy to do it. We, we live in, uh, well, you know what kind of times we live in, and so sad to think that we've gone from what has been called the greatest generation to the gimme generation, to where everybody thinks, you know, they have a sense of entitlement and they're, you know, going to the government with their hand out. I, I just noticed, in fact, that, and I've said several times, I've been so shocked to think that a socialist could run for president, you know, and and get near as much support as Sanders did. That's just been, that's blowed my mind. A socialist, are you kidding me? I mean, back when I was a boy, he, he wouldn't have got a half of a percent of the, of the votes. But now the Communist Party of the USA is backing Hillary. They've endorsed her. Yeah, I'm, most people I don't they don't have a clue how close. Whenever whenever we drift over, as it were, into into uh, socialism, you don't know how close you are to the next step being communism, and and it, things can get ugly in a hurry. That's the point I'm trying to make, and we need to be aware of that. But that's what happens when you have a society. I read another thing today about the fact, and I think it was for the first time, I wish I had those facts. Maybe somebody read it about uh, manufacturing. We have more, what, government jobs than manufacturing jobs in America. I mean, does that bother anybody? Wow, we it's kind of like we don't produce anything anymore. What do we do? We go to the ball games and whatever. We are entertaining ourselves to death and leaving it up to somebody else to make the stuff and you make it over there and we'll buy it, you know. And uh, we're in a mess and it's led to a generation that's lazy. Verse 25, I've got to hurry. Smite a scorner and the simple will beware and reprove one that hath understanding, and he will understand knowledge. Now, the scorner, of course, is a person, you know, that is hardened against the truth. He is bold in his, uh, in his criticism of the truth. Uh, uh, you can punish somebody like that, but it just doesn't seem to do any good. It's kind of like a repeat offender's. It is absolutely amazing how, of all the people that are incarcerated, how many are repeat offenders. It's amazing. You would think, all right, you know, yeah, I got 10 years in prison. You'd think, okay, I've learned my lesson. You'll never see me in prison again. Man, they don't get out in six weeks' time. They're back in there, you see. Some people absolutely never learn what's good for them. And the scorner, notice, you smite the scorner and the simple, 
Remember the simple is the, the one that is inexperienced, usually speaking about somebody that is young and inexperienced. But he says, when you smite the scorner, the simple will beware and you reprove one that hath understanding. That is, if he's got a lick of sense, as we might say, and he will understand knowledge. He will understand knowledge. Uh, Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 20, Them that sin rebuke before all, that others also may fear. Do you see how that fits in with what we're talking about? Them that sin, he says, rebuke before all, that others might fear. In other words, that they see that there are consequences to, to sin. Whenever a person realizes that they made an example out of him and other people, you know, will see the consequences of it, they won't want to do it. It's one of the, I think, the, maybe, maybe the biggest fault with the, our modern day churches is the fact that we don't want to discipline anybody for anything anymore and, uh, and in the eyes of, in the eyes of a lot of people, you know, it's, not that big of a deal. It's not really all that important, even though it's important to the Lord. But notice here he says that, that whenever you openly rebuke someone, and that's sometimes necessary, it, do, it doesn't seem loving and kind. Uh, over the years, I, I remember I was preaching a, uh, a revival meeting in Island City, Kentucky, a little old place way down in the hills and it was another one of those deals where I'm preaching and there's some kids cutting up and and I finally took it all I could now remember I'm pre I'm the guest there but I I just stopped and chewed them out real good and everybody some of the guys said amen you know they're probably hoping somebody do that they appreciate it but boy I want to tell you what after the service was over out there in the foyer, boy, here come the parents. I mean, there was was a, about three or four of them, and I mean, they were hot. They were mad. How dare I embarrass their precious little kid in front of everybody else? And I explained to them, I did that because of the fact that the other people, uh, other kids there think it's okay for them to do that if, if you let them get by with it. And I said, you do what you want to do, but as long as I'm preaching, while I'm preaching, I'm not going to put up with that kind of nonsense. And, 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 and so whenever we think about the situation in the world today, and we think about so many times people, you know, violate the law and then they get a little slap on the wrist, our poor law enforcement officers, you've got to feel sorry for them when they go out here, make an arrest, you know, and call up the DA and say, you know, David would have to explain how all of this worked, but there's some of our other officers. And they say, no, we're not going to take the case. Just let him go. Really? Just turn him loose, huh? Yeah, turn him loose. And, uh, of course, the jails are so full. What do you do with them? Verse 26, he that wasteth his father and chaseth away his mother is the son that causeth shame and bringeth reproach. That word wasteth there means spoil. It literally means to deprive of property. Notice he's talking here about uh, uh, about someone that that deprives his father of his property. 
Now, maybe you think, what in the world does that have to do with anything? Have you got any idea how much it has cost some parents to raise their children as a result of the crazy things their kids have done? I'm telling you what, from our membership, from our membership on any given Sunday morning, I could call on certain ones that I know about that has nearly been bankrupt, financially bankrupt as a result of trying to bail their kids out of problems. Over and over and over again, they have absolutely drained their parents of their savings. They've taken everything they've got. This is what he's talking about. Somebody that would waste and deprive their father of what he has. Notice and get this, and chaseth away his mother. Wow. I mean, your mother is the one that you ought to... You ought to be the most dear to your heart and to think about driving away your mother. Now, whether he intends to or not, I'm, you know, sometimes they intend to do that and sometimes they don't, but whether you intend to or not, the, the idea is that their sinful lifestyle creates a division or a separation between the mother and a child. And th- those that are mothers here, you know how painful that is for you. To think about that your your child has separated himself or herself from you and now you can't get within a mile of them emotionally, that is. And there's just not that bond that you used to have. And, and believe me, it hurts. I, it, it hurts bad whenever you have kids to do that and to literally torment you, again, not intentionally. Some of them are so messed up on drugs that they they get to the point that they literally can no longer help themselves. And, And I'm talking to you now from experience. I know what I'm talking about here. And they get to the point that they no longer can help themselves because of the what drugs has done to their their mind. But let me tell you, that hurt, that pain never goes away. And to just look into the face of a child like that just literally brings tears to your eyes. Young people, you need, you need to think about the way that your conduct is going to affect your parents. Because God's going to take it into consideration. Now, let me, let me try to finish up this chapter. Verse 27, cease my son, to hear the instruction that causeth the heir from the words of knowledge. There, There is so much here. I, I could take an entire lesson on this, but I, I'm, I'm going to rush through it, but I want you to get it. I, I want you to consider this phrase, words of knowledge. And I want to underline that. Cease my son... To hear instruction. Don't listen to those that would cause you to err from the words of knowledge. Well, what is knowledge? We've got some educators in the church, and they would tell you that knowledge means to be informed. It means to be aware or acquainted with the facts, to be aware of the truth. That is knowledge. And, And here we're talking about those people that are ignorant of their ignorance. You know, they think they know it all and they don't know what they don't know. 
And, and, and then when we think about the, notice the words of knowledge, where do we find knowledge? Well, I'm holding it right here in my hand. Nobody is well educated unless they are familiar with God's word. That's not to say that the Bible answers every question. It doesn't. It doesn't help you as far as I know to pass an algebra test. I don't think it has anything in there about the history of the revolution and stuff like that. That's not there. But there are principles all through the Bible that help to guide us in everything that we do. So this is where we find true knowledge. And then it's real easy to figure out why knowledge is so important. And this is why I said this would take a lot of time to talk about the words of knowledge. Salvation depends on it. Salvation depends on it. Now, in order to be saved, you've got to do more than know the facts. You can give your historical, your, your, your assent to the historical facts, you know, and be correct in what you believe. That doesn't mean you're saved because you have to act on that by placing your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, right? But listen, just because we're saved by grace through faith, it doesn't mean you, it, it's okay to not be knowledgeable. You've got to know the gospel before you can believe the gospel and trust the gospel. Your salvation depends on it. Your safety depends upon it. Your success in life depends upon it. And your serenity, that is your peace, depends upon it. And I mention those things because everything I just mentioned is something that is mentioned in the book of Proverbs that's related to this very thing, that when you find knowledge, you get knowledge. This is the result of it. And that's why he says, Cease, my son, to hear the instruction that causeth thee to err. Don't listen to that crowd. There will always be someone or, or maybe a bunch of people trying to get you to go in the wrong direction. I can remember as a, as a, as a boy, us guys sitting around, and we've run out of things to do, and so we're sitting around thinking about, what we can do next and see who will come up with the craziest idea. Well, let's go egg a house, you know, or turn over an outhouse or something. We, we didn't have anything to do, so we sat around thinking up stuff to do. And you know what happens? I, listen, I took my first drink of alcohol as a result of being out there in an old 41 Chevy with some guys and said, here, you know, have a drink. Well, they did, so I thought, well, that, you know, that'd be all right. I might as well take a drink too. And uh, don't listen to those that would lead you into air. And that's the warning he's given here. Verse 29, and I'm through. Judgments are prepared for scorners and stripes for the backs of fools. That's, that's kind of like God just saying, look, uh, you, you mark it down. You do what you want to do. You have a choice in this matter, but you're not going to escape the consequences of your foolish choices. There's a payday someday. And we, you know, we might get out of it with a high-powered lawyer down here like so many cases that we're familiar with, you know, and man, they, they didn't even convict them. They, they, they got, got out and they let them go. They got, they got away with it, we say. Oh no, no, they didn't get away with it. Their payday's coming someday because they're going to have to answer to God for it. So 
instead of getting angry with people like that, you know, we need to pity them because uh, eventually they, they've got to pay for the crimes they've done. Thank you so much for being here tonight and the Lord willing while we're going to, we're just going to keep on, I guess, and uh, go into chapter number 20 next time that we meet together. Did we miss anything? Uh, all minds clear? Yes. The what? Twenty-eight. Verse twenty-eight. You, you yeah. I skipped one. Really? Ah, I, I told you I had to hurry. <laughs> oh, I did. Verse twenty-eight. <laughs> now this one's going to take about thirty minutes, though. No. <laughs> and, uh, and, an ungodly witness scorneth judgment, and the mouth of the wicked devoureth iniquity. You know, so many times we look at that word ungodly and, uh, you know, what's the first thing that, you know, don't, you don't tell me because I'm not trying to embarrass anyone. But, but usually when we think about ungodly, what comes to our mind is that that means they're without God. That's really not the meaning of the word. It really means worthless or useless. Now that's the result of a life without God. But, but it's also translated Belial in, in, in the Bible and, and associated with heathen worship. But it has to do with being worthless. And he says the ungodly, that is the worthless witness, scorneth judgment. And it's kind of like saying you call him to the witness stand. He doesn't bat an eye. He doesn't mind lying about it whatsoever. He bears a false testimony. He deprives others of their rights and justice. Instead of speaking the truth, why uh, he he, uh, he he just uh, what's the word I'm looking for? He corrupts the justice system, and the mouth of the wicked devoureth iniquity. That means he swallows it or takes it in, or he devours iniquity. It's it, it's kind of like he can't get enough of it. That's the way sin is. We, you know, we the world keeps thinking. You know, uh, boy, if I can just if I can just sin a little bit more, that'll be enough to satisfy me. No, it, it never will. It's kind of like an alcoholic. He never gets enough to satisfy him. He really doesn't. You take somebody that all they drink is beer, and after a while, that doesn't satisfy. So they go to hard liquor after that. And uh, it just goes on and on and on. You go get into the drugs, and boy, anybody hear this report on the new drug and up in Cincinnati area and those four state area there that is how many thousand times stronger than heroin? And people up there are overdosing and falling like flies. It's it, it's it's amazing. Why would people do that? Well, they do that because after a while, their drug of choice no longer gives them the high they want. And so they end up destroying themselves. I really do got to stop this time. <laughs> Thank you all for being here. Let's have a word of prayer. Stand with me, please. And Jason Leith is going to lead us in prayer, and then you can be dismissed. Heavenly Father, we thank you for letting us gather here in fellowship to hear your word tonight. Please let us take it in reverence. Let us finish out the week with these words on our heart. 
please watch over the rest of our congregation, wherever they may be. Give us all the conviction to show up again Sunday with open minds and open hearts. Please bless all those on our prayer list. Watch over us all. In your son's holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.